Good morning, everybody, and a very warm welcome to Worship at Hillhead. Wherever we are, we are all welcome and we greet each other. Today, as well as me, we will also hear Wendy, Alan, Ken and Barbara reading scripture. Dr Beth will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Holly will lead our prayers for others. And shortly, Leo will be lighting our candle. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Yan Yang. There's an opportunity to meet again this evening on Zoom only at 7pm for our evening reflections, which will be led by Reverend Roger Sturrock. Just please note that is a change from what was previously advertised. It will not be a hybrid service based in Wellington. It will be completely online on Zoom. Our Operation Agri appeal is now closed. Thank you very much to everybody who has contributed to that. The last time I looked, we had £650 plus a further £117.50 in gift aid. So that is a really good donation to their project in Mozambique and will make a big difference, I'm sure. A note for your diaries, the first Super Saturday at the Mance will take place on the 5th of November. So you're very welcome to drop in any time between 10.30 and 2.30 that day for a cup of coffee and a chat to start doing a jigsaw together. Somebody suggested that might be a fun thing to do. And around about 12.30, there will be a soup lunch for anybody who happens to be around at that time. You don't need to book. You just turn up if you'd like to for part or all of that time. I am giving you notice of a church meeting that will be held on Sunday the 13th of November immediately following morning worship. So please look out for an email from me later on today with the papers for that meeting. So that's a church meeting to take place on Sunday the 13th of November. As far as I'm aware, there is only one specific item of family news this week. I have a request from Tamara, please. 
She's very embarrassed to be asking us for prayers again. But Tamara and Hannah and their family are having a really difficult time at the moment. So if you could please just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Also, if you wanted to send them a card, um, Tamara's email, land address is not publicly available. But if you wanted to send them a, a, an e-card, you could do that. Her, her email address I can pass to you. Or um, if you contact me or pass a card to me, stick it through my letterbox or something, we can get cards sent to her just to let her know we're thinking of her. Uh, just to note, please, that from tomorrow, I will be on leave for two weeks, with the exception of Super Saturday. I wasn't going to cancel that, but apart from that, I will be on leave until the 8th of November. So in that time, if there is anything that you would normally contact me about, please do contact one of the managers all their contact details are available in the church directory if you have one of those. Next Sunday morning, our worship at 11 o'clock will be led by Reverend Dr. Lena Toth and the evening reflections online will be led by the Reverend Richard Baxter. So now it is time for Leo to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Let us pray. Breath of God, breathe your life into each one of us, strengthening and stirring us to fullness of life. Word of God, speak your truths into our hearts and minds, empowering and enabling us to live your way. Holy God, enfold us in your loving embrace, healing and comforting us in our times of need. Trinity of grace, mercy and love, call us again to join in the dance of your will, that we may creatively and boldly draw others to you. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this morning we're continuing to listen to the lectionary and as I was reading through the passages set for this week there were some that seemed to be helpful for us and some that definitely were not. So I'm using 
the Old Testament passage within my introduction, and then I'm using an extended section of the chapter from the Gospel for the source of our reflections today. In the Old Testament reading, we have some words from the prophet Joel. The Lord said, Later, I will give my spirit to everyone. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will give my spirit to servants, both men and women. Joel is one of those little tiny prophets books in the Old Testament. He's only got three chapters and we don't really know very much about him. Scholars seem to think that it, this is a post-exilic prophet, so after the exile in Babylon. And it talks about a horrendous plague of locusts that have destroyed everything. Now, perhaps that was a real plague of locusts, perhaps there was a famine, or perhaps those locusts were metaphorical, things that were going on that were destructive. We might feel a lot like that if we look around us, I think, out in the world at the moment, as if there are a lot of political locusts causing mayhem. But whatever this plague of locusts and this sense of lostness and the calling out of sin at the beginning of the book, there's a switch. And it talks about the day of the Lord, which is a kind of eschatological thing very often. And this is a day when you'll be able to recognise it because apparently everybody will have received God's Holy Spirit. There's a Jewish understanding of the day of the Lord and the coming of Messiah that you kind of, you'd look out and you'd suddenly see that there was peace everywhere. And the story is told of a young rabbi who rushed up to an older rabbi and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, Messiah has come. The day of the Lord is here. And the older rabbi looked out the window, saw a dog chasing a cat and went, nah, we're not there yet. So whatever the day of the Lord is, whatever that looks like, this was the idea that when the day of the Lord comes, everybody would receive God's spirit. If we read what's recorded in the book of Acts, that doesn't seem to quite fit, because this is one of the passages that is quoted by Peter on Pentecost Day, when all these people of different nationalities and different languages suddenly get the, what the good news is all about. So maybe one way of understanding I will pour my spirit on all people is all, all nations, all ethnicities, that it's not confined to one particular group anymore. But I find myself wondering if God's spirit is really given or at least available to absolutely everybody, what does that look like? What does it mean? If God's Spirit is inclusive, and Scripture tells us that God's Spirit is, what does that mean for us as a community as we seek to build community together? What does it mean as we encourage and empower each other to use our gifts and skills? Because if we all have God's Spirit, we all have gifts and skills to share. And what does it mean as we discern together? How do we listen together to hear what God is saying. I think as we do that, what we need is the spirit, ironically. We need wisdom, and that is one of the names given to the spirit. 
we need somehow to hold together being wise as serpents at the same time as we manage to hold that innocence of doves. That's a lifetime work, but that's kind of what Jesus said. We should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. reading from the Bible is from Luke 19. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, oh God, I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I'm really glad that I am not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week, and I give you one-tenth of all I earn. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think that he was good enough even to look up toward heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God, have pity on me. I am such a sinner. Then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing to God. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honoured.
Over the years, I've spoken on this reading from the beginning part of Luke 19 many times and pointed out you can't preach on it. It is absolutely impossible because if you start to preach on it, you find yourself in the role of the Pharisee. Because if you say, oh, that Pharisee is a bad person, you're doing exactly what the Pharisee does. And if you say that the tax gatherer is a good person, you're doing exactly what the Pharisee does. And I think what strikes me as I read this story again today is how easy it is to label ourselves and to label others. And that's just not helpful. Whether we label ourselves as good or bad, or others as bad or good, it's just not a helpful or healthy thing to be doing. Of course, if we've done things in the past that are not good, we need to make that good as best we can. We need to seek redemption. We need to ask forgiveness. And there may be consequences. I'm not saying that's not true. There is an important place for challenging that which is wrong. But we have to do so in a way that is gracious, I guess, is the word. How do we call out that which is wrong or that which needs to be attended to without falling into the trap of shaming or condemning language? Shaming language is the language that says, I'm so angry with you. You're really bad, useless, hopeless. What it does is it makes the person the problem, not the behaviour. And that's not easy, but it is something that I feel constantly reminded of when I think about this kind of a passage. Is it ever right? Here's a question for us. Is it ever right to say that somebody is evil? And if we think it is, then what should we do when we find passages of Scripture that tell us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? What does it mean if we say with the third, the fourth gospel, that Christ came into the world, into the cosmos, into all creation, to save all of it. I think one of the things that this little story reminds me of is that each one of us, or me anyway, is a mixture of saint and sinner, and that this spirit of God does two things. It transforms us, I I, I use the she language, I think the spirit is fit feminine, I'm sorry. The spirit of God transforms us, makes us more who we are called to be, but also helps us to be kinder and gracious as we work together. So to take forward from this little reflection, the fact that each one of us is a mixture of saint and sinner and loved by God.
some people brought their little children for Jesus to bless. But when his disciples saw them doing this, they told the people to stop bothering him. So Jesus called the children over to him and said, Let the children come to me. Don't try to stop them. People who are like these children belong to God's kingdom. You will never get into God's kingdom unless you enter it like a child. of the women who brought their children to see Jesus and then they are sent away or they try to send them away is one that occurs in more than one gospel. Luke's gospel just says people were bringing their children and the disciples tried to stop them. I think the question that is useful to ponder in relation to this story is who is allowed to have access to Jesus? Who do we send away? Who do we not let in in the first place? Who are we too busy or too tired to have time for? Because certainly in some of the Gospels, we're told that Jesus was tired. And therefore, the disciples were acting out of concern for his welfare and saying, not just now, he's tired, he needs a rest. I think it's an interesting story because it asks us about the place of women and children explicitly, but also of minorities and marginalised groups within the church. Who is sidelined? Who accidentally or deliberately is not heard or allowed to exercise their gifts? And is there somebody or some group who ought to be prioritised. If I look on social media at the moment, there's a lot of, there's a word I really dislike, this word woke. Those of us who are concerned about whatever it is are defined as woke in a negative way, in a pejorative way, as if actually we just need to get back to how things used to be. Are there voices that need their chance to be heard because they haven't been allowed to be heard? And how do we try to be genuinely inclusive 
and egalitarian, seeking equity for everybody. But I also think there is something about the versions of this story that talk about Jesus being tired. Because here is a real question. When is it okay for us to say, not at the moment? Not at the moment. We can't do this because we are too tired, too worn out, too overburdened. Because we aren't Jesus. We're people. We're limited. And I think there is a question I need to go on asking myself and many other people need to ask themselves about how we balance the pastoral imperative, the thing that needs to be done and done now, with self-care, the care of ourselves and our own well-being so that we can care for others. We will sing again in a moment, Here am I, Lord. But in order to do God's will, we need also to care for ourselves. An important man asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments. Be faithful in marriage. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not tell lies about others. Respect your father and mother. He told Jesus, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was a young man. When Jesus heard this, he said, There is one thing you still need to do. Go and sell everything you own. Give the money to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come and be my follower. When the man heard this, he was sad, because he was very rich. Jesus saw how sad the man was. So he said, it's terribly hard for rich people to get into God's kingdom. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into God's kingdom.
when I was a child, I was the good child. In fact, I still am the good child. The one who obeys the rules, the one who's quite prone to people-pleasing, the one who has at times been described as boring. Hey, there you go. And the one who was described by the man who interviewed me at the age of 18 as, I quote, a pleasant girl who will succeed by application rather than inspiration. That's me. I work hard. I get the job done. I am not the most exciting person on the planet. I'm okay with that. But I suspect many of us, probably most of us, are like the young man in the story. We're basically good people. We know what's required of it. And we do our best to keep God's rules as we understand them. Well, so long as it doesn't hurt us too much, eh? Jesus' demand of the man hurts him, not because he's bad, but because it's a step too far. It's just too big a cost, not just financially, but in terms of everything than the man can bear. Sell everything and give it away. Ouch. I mean, we work hard, don't we? We put in the hours, we get the qualifications, we take the exams, we do the hard graft. We have plans for this money and we need it. We've got bills to pay and cost of living just goes up and up and up and up. And probably we already give a plans percentage of our money to the church and to other charities. Is it really so impossible for us to be acceptable to God? Well, thankfully, God is not defined and constrained by our human rules and regulations. But for me, again, there's a question to ponder here. As I think about if God's spirit is on me, if I am called to follow Jesus in my life, is there something I'm holding on to a bit too tightly? And it might not be physical wealth. It could be something else. What is it that stops me from discovering the fullness of life that God wants me to enjoy? It's not that God wants me to be miserable. It's not that God wants to take everything off me and leave me with nothing. Rather, God wants me to be free, to be the person I'm, I'm made and equipped and enabled to be. So what is it I'm holding on to tightly? My career, my home, my holidays? Or is it something a bit more ethereal? Is it a fear that I'm holding on to? Is it comfort? Is it familiarity? What am I holding on to a little bit too tightly that is holding me back from being the person God calls me to be?
When the crowd heard this, they asked Jesus, How can anyone ever be saved? He replied, There are some things that people cannot do, but God can do anything. Peter said, Remember, we left everything to be your followers. Jesus answered, You can be sure that anyone who gives up home or wife or brothers or family or children because of God's kingdom will be given much more in this life and in the future world they will have eternal life. So I guess if we felt discombobulated hearing those words of Jesus and my reflections on them, we know we're in good company. It's a natural reaction to that kind of thing. So it is impossible. Who then can be saved is the language that they use. It's so easy to fall into the trap, and I have done it on occasion of saying, but Jesus, I gave up this for you. I gave up my well-paid job. I gave up my home ownership. I gave up whatever it was. The truth is God isn't anybody's debtor. But we have to be very careful, very careful about pious platitudes, about more things and better things, because that isn't always our lived experience. Following Jesus is a costly choice elsewhere in the Gospels, he said that. He said, you need to weigh it up. Don't just dive in because this will cost you. It may cost you financially. It may cost you reputationally. It may mean rejection by those you love. It almost certainly means accepting a degree of uncertainty and unpredictability when actually, if you're anything like me, what you just want is it ought to be nice and sorted. Following Jesus is not a golden ticket to some kind of happy ever after. And I think over the years the church has been guilty of selling that kind of a Christianity that you pray the prayer, you get the ticket and you're in. That's not what the Gospels, it's not what the Scriptures tell us. Jesus calls us to follow him wherever he goes and whatever it costs. And that is hard. So let's go back to those words from the prophet Joel. I will pour my spirit on all people. If we believe, and I do believe, that God's spirit has been poured onto us, if God has equipped and empowered each of us for works of service, what does that look like? 
because each one of us is called to be God's people, following Jesus in a chaotic, complex and confusing world. And so we do have to choose, actually. We can say yes, like Mary said yes, like the disciples said yes, even though we're terrified, even though we don't know what it will be. Or we can be like the rich young man and say, actually, no thanks. No thanks, that, that's not for me. I'll just carry on doing what I'm doing. If we say no, Jesus will be sad. But that's not the end of the story because God is not going to give up. God's love for us is indestructible. We cannot stop God loving us. We cannot stop God's spirit nudging us and saying, come on, I've got something for you. But what if we take our courage in both hands and say, yes, Yes, I will do this thing. I will walk with Jesus. What might our next step be? prayers for others this morning are based on a prayer that I often come back to in my own life, particularly at times of political upheaval or what did Katrina say, political locusts. Um, And uh, I've used it many times when leading prayers here in church. I wish they weren't always so relevant. Let us pray. The response to Lord hear us is Lord graciously hear us. Lord hear us. 
Lord, graciously hear us. Holy God, though this world depends on your grace, it is governed and tended by flawed human beings. So we pray for those who walk the corridors of power in the parliaments of this and other lands, whose judgments we value or fear. May they always consider those they represent, make decisions with courage and integrity, and resist any temptation to abuse the trust placed in them. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We pray for those who hold key positions in the worlds of finance, business and industry, whose decisions may profit some or impoverish many. May they always value people higher than profit. May they never impose burdens on the poor that they would not carry themselves. May they realise that money cannot be divorced from morality, nor ownership from stewardship. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We pray for those in caring professions across the world, often finding themselves caring for patients without access to basic resources that they need to do their jobs. We pray for global leaders in healthcare, that they would work to reduce the burden of global health inequalities that have only widened since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. May they always sense the sanctity of life and every person's uniqueness. May all who work in health and social care help and heal by their ability to listen to people as well as by their skills. And may they be saved from tiredness and an excess of demands. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. In our Hillhead Baptist Church family, we pray for Tamara, Hannah, Aaron and Ben. We pray for our worship group and musicians. In our prayer diary, we name Jean R, Sylvia and Norman, Ailey, John, Owen and Ethan, Joan R, Margaret S, Mary and Ian, Betty, Graham, Ali and family, Lena and George. God, we thank you for your presence in their lives, that in pain and anguish, dance and song and all that comes in between, you are there. The Baptist Union of Scotland invites us to pray for Irish Baptist networks, for Pollock Baptist Church in Glasgow, for the Aberdeen Christian Church Fellowship plant at Port Lethen, and for Portobello Baptist Church. 
We thank you for your presence in their lives, that in pain and anguish, dance and song, and all that comes in between, you are there. And may your church ever be an expression of your presence in the world. The BMS prayer diary this week invites us to pray for North Korea. We recognise that it's impossible to piece together exactly what life is like for those living there. The BMS offers the following prompts for prayer. In January 2020, North Korea used the COVID-19 pandemic as the outward reason to totally close its borders. Since then, there has been plummeting trades and severe shortages of basic products. Up to 40% of people in North Korea suffer food insecurity and border closures have meant separation of families and friends for many years, but also have hindered the work of reconciliation and healing. God, we do not know how to pray. But we know that in your pain and anguish, dance and song, and everything that comes in between, you are there. Let us remember those for whom we are responsible and to whom we are accountable in what we do today. May we show them the thoughtfulness, tolerance and kindness of Jesus. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. Lord, hear our prayers. And if today we might be the means by which you answer the prayers of others, then may you not find us giving thanks that we are not like those people over there, but instead keen to fulfil your purpose. For Jesus' sake. Amen.
Spirit of God be to us as living water, bubbling up in an unquenchable spring of hope, love and joy. May the Christ of God be to us a travelling companion, keeping pace with us and encouraging us when we are tempted to give up. May the God of all things be to us a safe dwelling place, in whom we find our true home. And may we go into the world to live these truths, one step and one day at a time. Amen. <laughs>